Hey guys, it's Mika. Welcome back to the Miss Vindependent Podcast. I'm here with Katie. Hey guys. Welcome back. For today's episode, we're going to be talking about how to scale a business. Uh, we've been getting a lot of questions in our DMs about people asking how I start an e-commerce business and how to find different opportunities to build side hustles. Uh, we did some polls on our stories uh, a few weeks ago, and we had 80% of people say that they were looking for a side hustle and 20% of people said that they already had one. And that was the final total result. It was fluctuating throughout the day. Uh, but I was surprised to see how many people there are interested in looking for uh, a different income stream. And a great way to do that is through building a business because you're in control of the income that you earn. And as we've talked about in many previous episodes, having multiple streams of income is the key to building financial wealth and financial security for the future. So if building an online e-commerce business is something that interests you, keep on listening because we have a lot of cool stuff in store for you guys this episode. So e-commerce is just one avenue that you could explore if you wanted to start a business. We're talking in the grand scheme of things, there are so many different opportunities out there in the world. E-commerce is just one, one way to do that. And why I personally love e-commerce is because you can reach a very wide variety of customers all across the world. Back in the day when somebody said they were starting a business, it usually meant they were opening up a store or they were starting some sort of physical presence. And that required a lot of commitment. If you talk to, to friends growing up and they said their parents were business people, usually that meant that they were working on the ground and they were running either a store or some sort of factory or some sort of physical presence because we didn't have the concept of e-commerce until the, the early 2000s. As well as a lot of financial commitment as well. I'm sure it takes, you know, quite a bit of money to run a website and to have a bunch of employees. But when you're on the ground, when you have a physical space, I can only imagine the leasing of the space or the property itself and all of that cost a bunch more money, at least up front anyway, to start. So an e-commerce business, don't get me wrong, I'm sure costs quite a bit of money as well, but maybe not as much money up front for the actual space to start the business. Well, let's let's talk about that first. So starting an e-commerce business, what does it actually cost you? You have a website that you're hosting. Usually it's an annual deal. If you go through Wix or Shopify, uh, sorry, Squarespace, I think it's another one, but there's, there's all kinds of different hosting platforms. I've used Wix before. Wix is super easy. It's drag and drop and it helps you build a website super quickly. That's what we built the Miss Independent website on. Shopify is my favorite. Shopify is incredible because they have so many different apps that connect into it that help you um, build out what you want to build out. And they have different themes that you can choose from to make things easy to build. So starting an e-commerce business, the first thing that you're doing is you're building a website. You can hire someone to do that or you can do it yourself. It doesn't take a lot of time. And if you're comparing costs between starting an e-commerce business and starting a physical business, if you're opening, let's say, a jewelry store, substantially less. The cost to run a website, Shopify, depending on what package you get monthly, is like $45, I think, for the package that we're on right now. But there's, there's packages that start at $25, $35. You can get a free trial for a month as well to see if what you want to do actually makes sense. And the thing about running an e-commerce business, the first thing that's so, so critical is actually trying and starting. 
I've talked about this a little bit, but I have a, a successful e-commerce business that I've been running for three years with two partners, and it's grown substantially over the years. It started off just as um, an e-commerce platform. We have a website. Over time, we built multiple distribution networks with Best Buy, with Walmart. We're, we're working with Target right now. So it's been um, a lot of work trying to build this up, but I've learned so much over the years, and, and that's why... I wanted to come on here and share with you guys and let you guys know that it's fully possible. It just, it takes time. And you guys know, I love this quote that Rome wasn't built in a day, but they laid bricks every day. So you don't have to do it all. You just have to lay one brick. If you've been thinking about starting a business, this is, this is your sign. Take action and start with a website first. Start an Instagram page. Start to build a presence and see how people interact with what you're trying to do. If you don't have your product yet, if you don't have an idea of what you want to sell yet or what you want to build, but you're interested in a specific segment, you can still try to attract customers in the space. And I actually have um, have an acquaintance. Her name is Yasmin. Uh, she runs the Behind Her Empire podcast. And she just recently started a business called Bia Wellness. It is a physical food product for women that want to regulate their cycle. And it helps you regulate your balance, your hormones, so that you can be at your optimal performance throughout the entire month. And so what she did, she just launched, but we were chatting a year ago and she was saying, I'm starting this business. And she started an Instagram page. You can check her out on, on Instagram. It's called Bea Wellness, B-E-E-Y-A. And she just started posting content related to her niche, related to her industry for a year out before she was ready to launch. So that's something that is easy to do. Yes, it takes time. It might take you an hour a week to try to plan out what content you're building, but it doesn't take a lot of work. And it's something that you build and you work towards every single day. So if you're sitting here thinking, okay, well, how do I start? What do I need to do? Start thinking about what domain you want to buy. So the website, what, what name you want, and what Instagram handle you want to own as well. Start building content for it. All of the legal stuff. That comes secondary. So applying for a trademark, applying for an LLC if you're in the US or an incorporation number if you're in Canada, you don't need to do that right away. Most people online, if you're looking at, you know, all of these e-com gurus will tell you open an LLC. You don't technically need to open an LLC until you're paying taxes. And you don't need to pay taxes until you turn a profit. So in the very early stages, you're trying to figure out if this grand idea that you have, or maybe you don't have a grand idea, maybe you have an inclination of what you want to do. The ultimate goal in the very early stages is to find out if it works, if people will buy it, if people are interested in it, and if there is a market for it. After starting a website and building a domain, what is the next step that you suggest people start focusing on? Is it focusing on you know, targeting ads for the business, what should people start then to do? It depends on what the business is. If it's a physical product, if it's an app as well, like I built a, a couple apps this summer, um, one for for the core business and then one just as a, on the side as a passion project. So marketing for, um, marketing for apps and software as a service or SaaS products versus physical products is a little different, but ultimately you want to see if there is a market for what you're trying to sell. And your main goal is to try to turn a profit, right? That is the sole purpose of a business is to produce profit. If you're opening a corporation, so you, you want to see if you can actually sell it. So you can try to create ads through Facebook and Instagram. 
their ads platform is linked. Pinterest, uh, Google, those are great places to start, but also try organically. See if you can find an influencer to work with. Send them your product as a gift. You reach out to them. It's difficult to do if you don't have an Instagram presence, right? Influencers want to work with reputable brands and they want to represent something to their followers that they find value in. So if you have no followers, if you have three photos on Instagram and you're reaching out to an influencer, put yourself in their shoes. How likely are they to promote their product, to promote your product to their followers? Unless it's something very on brand with them, for example, like you send someone, I don't know, let's say a pair of sweatpants or a sweatsuit, which I saw one of your friends, Nika, the people who own Little Piece of Heaven, like a mm-hmm. sweatsuit brand, I'm pretty sure they sent them to a few like influencers or a few people that run in like David Dobrik's circle, a few people in that. And then they, I'm not sure if they paid them or not, but from what I've heard and what I've seen with people, some influencers or some, you know, like class B, class A, class C celebrities, if that's on brand with what they wear normally or like what they fuck with, there good chances are they'll be photographed in it if they like your product and they're wearing it. So you don't necessarily have to pay them. There is still a chance that they might pro- not promote it directly and take your brand, but they might still wear your stuff or use your product on social media. Yes. So th- those two girls are awesome. Their names are Emily and Daniela. They started Little Piece of Heaven. So these girls are awesome. They're, they started Little Piece of Heaven, I want to say two years ago. So actually during the pandemic, they started, it was because they lost their jobs. They were dental hygienists and they needed to find a way to keep their time occupied and, and do something fun. So they started tie-dyeing sweaters and sweatpants and they've evolved and now into owning a fashion line. Um, they have different products, they have different manufacturers now, but initially they built a website. They started tie-dyeing clothes. They're doing it all by hand. Took a lot of time, but I don't even think they built a website at first. I think it was just like an Instagram page. And then it got big and people kept sharing it and kept buying it because tie-dye was actually a very big deal during the pandemic. They got ahead of that trend pretty early. And I think once they scaled and they grew a lot bigger and they were getting like an inflow of so many DMs that they couldn't necessarily respond to or keep up with, then they started building a website for it. A hundred percent. Yeah. So they, you're right. They first, they started with just their Instagram page. They didn't even have Instagram shop. They were just posting (laughs) stuff on their stories. They were showing the behind the scenes, but they built up their Instagram. And that was my point about influencers is you're not going to approach an influencer unless you have some sort of presence. It doesn't have to be huge, but if you have 50 followers, the influencer isn't going to want to work with you unless it's really something special or something that's on brand with them. So the way that they actually sent out products to, uh, to somebody from David Dobrik's squad, I think her, it was, I, I, I don't know all of the people in that circle, but it was somebody big and it was a huge moment for them. Emily and I were chatting uh, a few months before that, and we were talking about different strategies to reach out to influencers. I shared some templates with her, but essentially what they, they did is they reached out to um, people that they thought would vibe with their products you've got to be specific. You've got to be really strategic about who you're targeting if you want to go the influencer route. And you send a message and say, hi, love, I want to gift you this item. If you're interested, please send me your shipping address. Sometimes they'll have a Gmail link or, sorry, not a Gmail, their email in their bio. Sometimes they're represented by an agency. Um, Sometimes they even just have their PO box in their bio on Instagram. Yeah. Sometimes they have their PO box in their bio as well. So 
you you basically want to get their address first so that you know where to send the physical product to and um yeah and then you see you say if you know if you enjoyed it you see what the response is like if they like the product then they share it with their followers usually that's the gifting route the other route you can go and this is something that um that i do for my businesses and it works really well is affiliate marketing so you send the influencer a product but through Shopify, there's different apps that you can integrate and they will create a custom discount code to send to the influencer. And the influencer actually gets paid a commission, usually 15, 10%, whatever it is of the order value for influencing the order. The reason why you'd wanna go that route, yes, you're paying the influencer, but it's a lot cheaper than paying for ads to convert that customer. So essentially what it is is say, for example, if we use the uh, little piece of heaven sweatsuit example, I have a tie-dye sweatsuit. I'm an influencer. I have a code, for example, KD20. You get 20% off if you use my code. And what happens then is every time someone purchases the sweat, uh, sweatsuit or something similar off the website, um, the customer gets 20% off. And because the influencer technically made that sale, um, Little Piece of Heaven or the company will then pay that influencer a small commission or whatever commission they agree upon. Exactly. So it's a, it's a great way to market your product. Influencers, especially micro-influencers, they're a little bit smaller. They're more willing to, uh, to take on gifts and affiliate programs. Larger influencers, I found, usually ones that have over a million followers, will want some sort of paid partnership. And that can be expensive. Um, I've tried paying for stories and for physical posts. It depends on who the person is. Sometimes it does pay off, but it's difficult to measure the return on your investment because some of the the type of marketing that influencers do is awareness. They're they're informing their followers of this product and their followers may have not been familiar with your brand. So it's awareness that they're generating and awareness doesn't drive conversions. Yeah, if I were to have an e-commerce business and have to reach out to influencers, I would also go the affiliate marketing route just because it's low upfront costs. Of course, you're going to have to pay a small commission off of every sale they make, but you're paying based off of, you know, income off of return you're actually getting. Whereas if you paid a lump sum to an influencer to make a couple posts in your product or promoting your services, that's a huge chunk upfront and you're not guaranteed any returns from that. Exactly. So I've had a couple of situations where we paid an influencer for story posts. This is before reels were big. Reels are awesome, by the way. Um, if you can build reels for your business, that is a great way to reach new audiences on Instagram. That's why whenever Katie and I post reels, we always put in follow Miss Independent. It's not because we know that you guys don't already follow us. It's because we're trying to reach new audiences. So after you started the Instagram page, and and or the website depending on what kind of product it is you want to actually go after customers so i started talking about the the marketing funnel um, and awareness awareness is at the very top of the funnel so if you literally imagine like a funnel for our um for our followers that went to college imagine a beer funnel and at the top of the funnel that's where you're bringing in new customers so you want to um reach reach people where they normally discover new products. So that usually if you're, it's an e-commerce business or an app, 
its online spaces, whether that be Reddit, whether that be other Instagram channels. Pinterest. Pinterest is awesome. I love Pinterest, especially because if you are targeting women who have a high level or high amount of disposable income who are between the ages of 18 and 40, Pinterest is where they hang out. So if you want to market a product, Pinterest is the place to be. I promise you 90% of the girls you talk to have a Pinterest board. <laughs> yeah. And have planned their weddings. Yeah. <laughs> I am so guilty of that. Um, love Pinterest. It's like absolutely great for organizing stuff. They actually have a lot of content too for how to start and grow a business. So check it out if, uh, if that's something that you want to do. So we talked about capturing new customers, bringing them into this funnel. So at first you want to introduce them to your brand and what you're trying to do. But the very key thing is you want to convert that customer. You want to bring them on this journey so that they're they're introduced to your product and then eventually they see it so often or it really drives a buying decision for them. It, It solves some sort of problem or they get enticed to buy it because of scarcity and there's a limited supply. There's different kind of marketing tactics that you can try. But ultimately, the reason why someone would want to buy your product or service is because it solves a problem for them or it does something for them that they're looking to do. In the case of tie-dye sweaters, tie-dye is very popular. So it could be appealing to FOMO and they were producing all of this by hand. They had a scarce amount of inventory. And so whenever they were, they were releasing products, they were always talking about how, you know, you've got to get in on this drop because if you don't get it now, it's going to be too late. Yeah. There's only a certain amount in this size or a certain amount in that size. Using, um, using Little Piece of Heaven as a case study though, we should actually bring them onto the podcast because they're, they're fantastic. And like, they're two girls that, you know, they didn't think that they were ever going to be entrepreneurs. They literally started this business throughout the pandemic because they were bored and they wanted to do something other than, you know, watch Netflix um, and sit on the couch. So they, they started tie dyeing these sweaters literally for fun. Um, initially, it was sweaters that they made for, for themselves, for family, for friends. And then they realized, you know, what, we can actually sell this. And they had some help and, and a lot of their friends are also um, e-commerce entrepreneurs are very involved in this space. So they had a lot of help with bringing the business to where it is now, but so much of it and the grunt work and everything behind the scenes has been them putting in the time to, to create this. Um, but it just goes to show that like the small idea can blossom out of nowhere and lead you to incredible places. The one, um, the one thing that I do want to speak to, so using them as a case study with tie-dye clothing, tie-dye was huge in the early stages of the pandemic. What made them succeed was they had a unique competitive advantage. They had a very um, special brand. They had a unique um, sticker that they were putting on their clothes. And you were buying clothes from Emily and Daniela at first. So there was that personal approach. And that's that's what's great about, about business in general. Like with tie-dye, there was a ton, a ton of competitors, sure. But one, whenever I look at a business and people say, oh, it's so saturated. Okay, sure, saturation does exist in some markets, but it's, it's proof that it can be done. And if you are going into the same market, you need to understand that you're not, unless you can create a new market, you're going after the existing market share. So you want to build a strategy for how you can take 
a piece of this, this company's pie or a piece of your competitor's pie. So from the perspective of someone who didn't know um, the women who started Little Piece of Heaven, what attracted me to their products were the fact that they were probably the first, one of the first tie-dye Instagrams I actually saw. They were like one of the first people, at least that I saw on Instagram to like move into that space. And then from there, what really attracted me was their constant posts on Instagram. Like every day I'd go onto my Instagram and I'd see like a newer girl, a new girl or guy, like rocking a sick tie dye sweatsuit and, you know, being in the middle of the pandemic and only wearing your pajamas and sweatsuits every day that really captured my attention personally was their constant Instagram presence them always posting, always promoting it and doing it in a very like tasteful way. So that's another thing I think Nika and I should get into a little bit. This episode is once you have built that Instagram or that website, posting regularly and promoting your product is important to not only capturing new customers, but retaining your customers and keeping them locked in and keeping them interested in what you're about to do next or your product currently or service. A hundred percent, Katie, you hit the nail on the head. One of the best ways to be profitable and stay profitable is to retain your customers and to increase the lifetime value of your customers. Through Shopify, you can set up, there's again, different apps for this, but you can actually test text your customers and send them different promotions or expand your product line and basically engage them so that they, they are continuing to come back. So that's specifically through Shopify, but through Instagram, it's a, a fantastic way because um, that's where your audience hangs out. That's where people that love your brand hang out. So you keep them engaged, you keep posting and consistency is key. The Instagram algorithms reward consistency, not just Instagram, but TikTok as well, Pinterest, all these platforms, consistency is built into the way that they promote content. And they want to bring up creators and companies that are consistent because it means that they can show more ads in between um, the content that this, uh, this company or creator produces. So very, very key point. But let's talk about actual product development because another thing that Little Piece of Heaven's done consistently and I've done throughout my business is constantly iterating and making sure that you're making your product better every day. So your customers will give you feedback and and you've got to really listen and hear what they have to say because whenever somebody's giving you negative reviews or they're commenting or talking about your product online, that is feedback that you can take into consideration to help you develop. So if you look at all businesses, if you look at Google, Amazon, McDonald's, you know, even Coke, like think about Coca-Cola and how they're not their brand and bottle, how much that's changed over the years, but also just the taste as well. Um, It might be small changes that we don't notice every day, but if you look at what, you know, Google, let's say used to look like 20 years ago from now, what Google is today, it's been a massive evolution. So they're consistently iterating, consistently developing their products. If I looked at the first version of what we built and what we have now with my business, it's like night and day. And that's really key because when you first launched, so many people get lost in the idea that what they bring to life has to be perfect. And that's BS. You're never, if you wait until 
what you're building is perfect, you've launched too late. If you're not embarrassed by the first version of what you create, you've launched too late. Because when you're building something, whether it be a physical product, whether it be an app, a SaaS product, you're not going to know everything. And until you actually bring it to life, you're not going to know what you don't know. And you're not going to know how to make it better. Yeah. The only way I can relate to that is just looking back at my first YouTube video or first podcast episode and, you know, listening to it back and being like, oh my God, we sound like, you know, not as, not as comfortable with each other or, you know, it's really choppy or, you know, I cringed at the first episode we launched because I think we've gone better together um, as a team on our podcast, as well as individually. Like I was a little more shy with the first podcast. So the first thing that you need to do, like Nika said, is just start. You're not going to love your first podcast episode or your first product or, you know, the first seminar you run, depending on what you want to do. But over time, you inevitably will get better. It's just, that's just how it works. You're going to learn from, you know, okay, the first seminar I did this wrong. You know, I would have liked to teach my students this a bit better. I would have liked to go over this topic a little bit more. You learn and feedback is also so important. When I look at things I want to purchase online, the first thing I do is I look at reviews, right? And I look at what people have to say about the product. And if you're not taking people's feedback into consideration, for example, let's just use again, little piece of heaven, the sweatsuits as an example, let's say they're caught in, in their, in their sweatsuits, for example, or whatever material they're using is super itchy on the skin, right? It might look amazing, but let's say it's itchy and people are breaking out into rashes or whatever. If they don't improve the materials or change the materials in their sweaters. And I keep seeing these reviews over and over and over and over again, then chances are, I'm not going to purchase that product. So it's very important to just take what your customers are saying. And instead of getting upset about it, you know, and, and hearing all this negative feedback, take it more as constructive criticism and see it as an opportunity to better your product and grow your business even further. Reviews are a fantastic way to learn from what your customers are actually saying. And there's different ways to to try to incentivize reviews. Um, You can send out gift cards to your customers. You can run contests to try to get them to actually leave positive reviews as well, because as customers, and they put yourself in, in, you know, the consumer's shoes. Whenever you leave a review, usually it's because you've had a negative experience. And for you to leave a positive review, it has to be an exceptional experience. But if the slightest thing goes wrong, you're like, oh man, it shouldn't, it shouldn't have taken this long to ship. So you'll, you'll leave a review. But that's um, a great way to communicate with your customers. And again, there's different strategies on how to generate positive reviews. Depends what platform you're selling on. It depends, again, what you're trying to do. But there are different ways to do this. And the best way to do it for your business is going to vary. So look at some different strategies online. Like I said, gift cards, um, raffles are a great way to start. What I've seen is I've seen, and I've personally gotten emails um, offering me, let's say 10 or 15% off my next purchase. If I go ahead and I leave a review. So you can do it that way too. You can offer them a chance to come back and buy your product again at a minimal discount 
if they go ahead and leave a review. And chances are, if they're going to take you up on that offer, it's going to be a relatively positive one. Reviews are really the bread and butter of how customers interact with your brand online. It's, it's what people say about you behind your back. So it's really important to have a good brand presence online. And that, that's not just, you know, your Instagram page. Brand is a combination between what you want people to think and what people think about the company. And what you can control is your Instagram presence, the consistency, posting, having a really, really clean messaging and purpose. And again, problem that you're solving or way that you're appealing to the customer. So think about all of that as you're starting. Think about what is going to drive a customer to actually purchase. And then as people start interacting with your brand, listen to what they're saying behind your back. So that's that's on the product development side, but let's talk about market development because this is really key as well. If you're trying to grow a business, you want to think about what markets you're going to sell into and how you can grow those markets, how you can distribute your product, whether if it's an app, or you know, a SaaS product, you're selling it online, there's um, you know, fewer places that you can actually distribute. If it's an app, it's the app store for iPhone and uh, the Google Play Store for Android. So it's limited in that sense, but you can tap into new markets, let's say by growing internationally, or you can tap into different distribution network. I mentioned early on that Walmart, Best Buy, Target is somebody that we're trying to work with as well right now, and we're, we're negotiating with them. There's, there's different distribution networks that we've brought on to help tap into new markets. And Amazon, Amazon is a great one uh, because they've got such a big base of customers. If you can learn how to sell a product on Amazon and how to do it profitably, that is a great place to grow an e-commerce business because Amazon has a massive, massive audience space. So yes, you're paying Amazon for referral fees and there's there's two different fees that Amazon takes from you, as well as, um, you know, if you're fulfilling your products by Amazon, there's two different ways to actually sell on Amazon. You can fulfill by merchant or you can fulfill by Amazon, FBM or FBA. FBA costs you more money because Amazon is actually distributing and holding the product for you. FBM, fulfilled by merchant, you are sending out the product to a customer when you get an order. So you're paying the shipping. Um takes a lot more time and you need to have a place to store your products. So think about that. If it's uh, something bulky or big, you need to figure out where you're actually keeping the items. Um, but Amazon is a great way to reach new customers. The only downside is that you are actually paying them to provide those customers for you to sell to. Whereas if you just use your own website, you have to find those customers on your own. If me and Katie started Katie and Nicole's t-shirt company, how the heck are people going to find us online? Yeah, sorry to cut in. A great way maybe maybe to just start on Amazon and build that reputation and build that customer base. And then when you have enough customers there, maybe try then to redirect them to your website. And once you, again, build a big customer base and you see people are now being redirected from Amazon to your website, you may, if it's no longer as profitable for you, just sell things just directly off your website. But I don't think even though they charge you a bit to use their their website and their platform, from what I've heard, Amazon is always like a great place to start, especially if you're new. 100%. That's where I started. Like the first business that I started in e-commerce was a self-tanning care um, <laughs> kit. And, and it was a complete shit show. Like I ended up losing 
uh, a little bit of money on that, but I learned so much. Um, the, the one thing about Amazon, and this is where, you know, my first business failed is you need to have a very, very strong competitive advantage because there are massive brands on there competing with you. So with the, with the tanning business, I was competing against like St. Tropez and really big um, consumer brands. And they were undercutting me with price. I had a specific minimum price that I could sell at in order to still make a profit or even break even. And they were just undercutting me. And so I couldn't compete. So Amazon, because it's got so many customers that, that go to the site every day, they also do have a lot of businesses that try to sell on there as well. So Amazon is competitive. It's a very competitive marketplace. It's not the only one. Like I said, there are others, Target, Walmart, Best Buy. There's, there's tons, eBay as well. Lots of other you know, distribution networks. Amazon has the largest customer base, but also the largest amount of sellers. So if you're selling on Amazon, you need to be very, very clear about what makes you different and how do you tell people about that? Not even for Amazon, though, I think in general, if you are not launching a revolutionary product or idea that hasn't been seen before, if it's something that already exists, you need to be very clear and make it very clear to your customers as to why you stand out and why someone should buy your product over someone else's and why that price point also makes sense for your product. For example, let's say Nico's tanning kit. Why is Nico's tanning kit better than St. Tropez? Is it made of like all natural ingredients? Is it hundred percent vegan friendly? Is it more luxurious? Does the tanning last a lot longer than all these other tanning kits? You need to have something that makes you stand apart. Or else, again, no one's gonna no one's gonna want to purchase your product because why would I purchase your product that I've never heard of before when there's a hundred other, you know, more well known tanning kits out there? Mm-hmm. So just keep that in mind. You always have to c- kind of answer the question: Why? Why would someone want to purchase my product? What do I have to offer that makes me stand out a little bit? What problem am I solving? It could also be that you're maybe launching a more premium product, a more luxurious product, and you're catering to a different market. Maybe the product that, you know, Mika's launching for herself, Tanny Kit has the most premium like shea butter or ingredients in it that, you know, it's just, I don't know, <laughs> makes you feel better. I don't know. You have to have some type of com- uh, competitive advantage. And my number one piece of advice that I've just heard and I've seen is don't rely on price to get you there. Don't, don't think that because, you know, you might be the lowest priced item that people are going to choose you over something that's more well-known or that's been around longer. Cause I guarantee you these larger companies, if they wanted to, they have more room to scale and they could drop their price a lot lower if they needed to, in order to compete with you. Definitely. There's something actually called economies of scale, which is an economic principle. And the more that you produce, the cheaper it actually becomes per unit. So that's why these massive companies, they operate at scale. They have massive, massive quantities that they produce. They can undercut you with price. So that was really, really key, Katie. With the tanning kit, um, I had a self-tanning glove. I put in an exfoliating glove. I added a beauty blender because you can't self-tan your face or you, you technically shouldn't. Um, and uh, also back in the day, there was a fad for silicone sponges. 
uh, to put on foundation. So I added one of those and I created this beautiful kit, it had a waterproof packaging bag um, and it was you know, really well designed. But again, I was undercut by massive competitors competing on price and the customer didn't see the value of this silicone sponge. It's a tanning kit. Why am I adding makeup products to it? So there was um, a little bit of a disconnect between what the customer wanted and what I thought they wanted. And that's why testing and understanding what your customer wants is so critical. That's why if you're trying to sell a physical product, when you're negotiating with suppliers, you want to order the, the smallest amount of inventory possible because you don't know if it's going to sell. Your sole job when you're starting a business is to figure out if I can scale this and if this will, will sell. A great way to do that before even purchasing inventory or starting your business is just to have really candid conversations with your family members, your friends, even acquaintances, people at work, people that you trust and just say, hey, especially if you think they're interested in the space, for example, if you go to girls that you know tan or like self-tanner, would you purchase this product at this price point? And if you can get honest feedback from people in your circle or, you know, acquaintances, um, you could really leverage that information to, to see, okay, maybe they would purchase this product, maybe not at this price point, like, and get their feedback before you commit to spending X amount on inventory. So I think there's a lot of also before you buy the domain and before you even get into things, just doing a lot of, again, I've never owned an e-commerce business, but what I would think to do is maybe a lot of like pre-research and seeing if there's even like a market or a space for something that you want to present. If what you're trying to present already exists in the market, that's a great way, um, you know, to see if, if there's demand for it, if people are buying it already and you can make it better, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. If you can make it better, that's a great signal to say that, okay, a market for this exists. If it's something that's very revolutionary, that's like a brand new concept, then yes, you want to definitely have conversations with people um, and see if it's something that they would find value in. But don't, don't listen to what your parents and friends are going to say to a T. Um, this is something that I've actually had to go through. Like when I was first launching my businesses, my, my parents didn't understand, um, you know, why I would want to waste my time launching a tanning business. Don't take everything that your parents and your close friends are going to say to heart. People are people and there's always an element of jealousy and, you know, emotion that's involved. Your parents just want the best for you. They want you to have to be stable. They want you to be able to provide for yourself and your future kin. So that's where their thought process is coming from. Usually parents don't want you to take on a necessary risk. So it always comes from a place of love, but you need to understand that their mindset and your mindset may not always be aligned. So don't listen to what they say you know, too, too seriously, don't take it to heart. Believe in yourself. And when you're an entrepreneur, if that's the route you want to go, you are always betting on yourself. And that's a bet that I'm going to take every, every fucking day of the week, because I know who I am and I know what I can do. So you need to have that same mindset. You need to understand that you are fully capable of achieving whatever it is that you want to achieve. That is a mindset that takes time to build, but Katie and I are here to help you with that. Um, you got to surround yourself with great people that think like you do. If there are people in your circle who don't believe in you, don't support you, those aren't 
necessarily the people that you want to be sharing these ideas with because you're not going to get support from them and they're just going to shut you down so don't take things that people say too seriously if it's somebody that you see using this product or or service definitely talk to them and get some ideas but don't take it to heart also don't be too critical like if somebody's giving you good feedback put your ego aside and listen you know so especially with parents sometimes they, they do oftentimes have really, really good insightful things to say, like who's going to buy it? Why, why are you launching this? You know, what's the, what's the benefit? So they are going to ask hard questions, put your ego aside and, and do listen. And sometimes those questions are also the best thing to ever happen to you because maybe you thought, oh, you know, people, my parents' age would be a target customer group. And if they don't understand it, maybe then it's time to go back to the drawing board and rethink, you know what, who is going to be my customer? And I think that's one thing we forgot to mention and talk about is being really clear on who your customer base is, who your target customer is. I think, especially when it comes to marketing and, you know, targeted ads and affiliate marketing, it's really important to know who you want to target before spending money and time trying to target those people. Definitely. Those are great, uh, great episodes that we're going to do in the future, specifically on digital marketing and how to grow your brand presence. So I've got a lot of experience with that. And I want to be able to provide actionable value in some of our next episodes. Maybe that'll um, be a part two coming. Yeah. Not a, not a part two, but part of season, part of season two. Yeah. Why not? Um, a whole other thing that we didn't talk about that's so key with all of this is how to finance a business right? Like where are you actually going to get money from? Um, you know, a lot of the businesses that I've started have been, all of them have been self-funded. I've always brought in partners um, who can share the expense and also add a lot of value, but those are definitely things that we'll talk about in future episodes. Entrepreneurship and starting a business is a fantastic way to build multiple income streams. And the most amazing thing, and what I love about it, is that you're in control. The effort that you put in, the strategies that you take the, the education and the learning that you do ultimately helps you in the, in the long run. And only with starting a business, do you have that level of control, right? With the stock market, with investing, you don't have control over, you know, what stock goes up, what stock goes down, how the market performs. We can bet on the market as a whole, right? We have all these strategies and things that we've learned over time, but ultimately there is a level of control that's lacking um, in the stock market. And same with real estate. Katie's going to disagree with me now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like there is an element that you can't control when starting a new business, such as like the economy and customer spending habits and sure. what they value. For example, for some people, you know, when COVID hit, especially initially, a lot of people, maybe I might be totally wrong, but for me personally, I wasn't going out and buying a lot of clothes online. Some people may have been bored. And started like, you know, just trust shopping and buying a lot of stuff. But for me personally, during that time period, I thought I'm not going anywhere. I'm in my sweatpants all day. I didn't feel the need to go on to Aritzia like I do every week now and like purchase a bunch of clothes, at least not initially. So I think the economy and um, consumer spending habits definitely do affect e-commerce businesses and are something that you can't necessarily control all the time. But for the most part, Nika is totally right. When you are the boss and you make all the decisions, 
a lot of percent, 90% of what goes on, you are within full control of. Yep. (laughs) I think we talked a lot in this episode about entrepreneurship and getting started with an e-commerce business and key things you want to do and look for. Um, we're, we're going to keep adding onto this series. It's not going to be every week. We're going to sprinkle them in, mix up the content because we know you guys want to hear about all kinds of different ways to build wealth, but we will definitely be talking more about how to grow a business, how to find a side hustle, how to learn more about the space. And when to walk away from a business oh, that's or okay. a side hustle. And I, we didn't really get into it in this episode, but for sure, we're going to dive deep into Nika's personal experience and some mistakes maybe she made along the way and, and provide as much value to you, to you guys as possible. Thanks for listening. We appreciate each and every one of you from the bottom of my heart. I want to thank you guys for just, you know, being on this journey with us, for, for being here to learn. Hopefully you guys find value in, in the kind of content that we provide. Um, So thank you guys. Yeah. Thanks so much, guys. Have a good day. Bye.